Well, we are learning about a lot of things about the Lord and, and how God interacts with, with people. So come with me to the book of Exodus. Tonight we're going to be particularly in, in uh, chapters uh, 32 through 34. So we'll, we'll go there, but we'll get a little bit of the context. And we pretty well know the context. Those of us that have been studying together for a while uh, know, what's, know what's going on. That the Lord brought the children of Israel down to, down to Mount Sinai for the purpose of making a covenant with them. And it wasn't a covenant by which they were individually going to be saved, but it was a covenant in which they would agree that they would be a peculiar people and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And they would fulfill those qualities by keeping his commandments for the purpose of glorifying God and having a testimony to this world about who the Lord is. And then through their lives of, of holiness and purity, they would be different. They would be peculiar and they would attract people's attention. But then as, as people came and interacted with the people of Israel and learned their, their um, uh, ordinances and sacrifices and their worship of the Lord in the tabernacle, they would learn the principles of Christ. So they, they have agreed to enter into this covenant and in the midst of this covenant, after giving them the commandments by which they were going to uh, direct their lives morally and the principles that would govern them as a, as a country there in the judgments given in chapters uh, 21, 22, and 23, then the Lord set out to give them instructions for the tabernacle, the instructions for how God was going to dwell among them. And we saw that the instructions included the building of the structure, the tabernacle. And of course, that's what we, that's what we see right there. That's the, the structure of the tabernacle. And there's the laver and the, and the altar. And, and we've seen that. We've seen the, the necessity of the priesthood. And we've seen that the priest had to be consecrated in order, to, in order to have that. So the Lord has given them all these instructions for a dwelling place for the Lord to, to be among them. And we know, of course, that that's a picture, that the Lord doesn't really dwell in a, in a tabernacle. Uh, and the people at this time, if they really understood who the Lord was, they would have known that God's not going to come and live in this little tent, but that this is a representation. In fact, the Lord told Moses that he was supposed to make it according to the pattern that he saw in the holy mountain. So, so even, even Moses knew that this was a representation of something that was more significant. We would call it a visual aid. So, they re so Moses was up there receiving the instructions. But while Moses was there receiving the instructions, there was a crisis among the children of Israel. And, and what was the nature of that crisis? You tell me. That's right. They worshipped an idol. That's right. Their, their minds were still turned toward Egypt. And they, they, they wanted to have leadership. Moses had been gone for several days. And there was a vacuum of spiritual leadership and rather than just trust in the Lord and wait for the Lord and do what they had promised to do, which was to have no other gods before the Lord and to, and to put God first, well, in, instead of doing what they promised to do and instead of trusting the Lord, they, they panicked and said, we've got to have some spiritual leadership. And they went to Aaron and, and demanded it, that, uh, that Aaron make an idol for them. And, and Aaron, knowing that their hearts were fully set on mischief because they had already talked once about stoning him, and and Moses, uh, Aaron went to work and he fashioned a, a calf and the children of Israel worshipped it and it was a horrible and ugly situation altogether because 
they hadn't even received the, the covenant hadn't even been finalized and they were already breaking it and showed that they they didn't really have a heart for for God and so there was this crisis that's recorded in chapters 32 33 and 34 and then uh, after after the crisis passes we're going to see the construction of the tabernacle what we're doing right now is we're taking a look at the at the crisis that occurred between the Lord and the and the people of Israel First of all, we, we see that the, the crisis was their, their, uh, their idolatry, their sin. And they, they made the golden calf. And they, um, they, they, of course, were worshiping the calf. And we've discussed the significance of, of that along with the music and the dancing and the nakedness. And that these are, these are the normal human characteristics. This is what, this is what people, whenever people are allowed to, to um, go unrestrained and unfettered. This is the kind of behavior that we're likely to, to find them in. Music that sounds like warfare and uh, uh, nakedness. And the, in, in, uh, in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about there being fornication among them. So, so uh, there, in, in addition to spiritual unfaithfulness to God, uh, the, the, the physical uh, filth that was going on there in their, in their worship of the idol. So the Lord saw what was going on and the Lord told Moses, those people that you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves and stand back and let me destroy them in a minute. But, the, but Moses spared the people because Moses interceded for the people and, and he spared them. And for the sake of time, we're not going to go back and review all that in detail. But, but before Moses came down the mountain and before Moses saw what the children of Israel were doing, he reminded God of God's promises to them that he was going to take them into the promised land and give them the land that he had promised to give to their, to their forefathers. So Moses appealed to God based upon his promise and Moses also appealed to God based upon uh, God's glory. If the people of, of Egypt find out that you killed the children of Israel, it's, it's going to look like you were not able to keep your promises and, and of course that would be a disgrace on the name of God. So... So Moses appealed to God to spare the people of Israel based on two things that are very important to God. One is his word and another is God's glory. That's a good lesson for us. If we want to go before the Lord and request something of the Lord, we can go to him based on his promises and based on what will glorify him. So the, so the Lord did determine to spare the people and then he sent Moses on down to see what had happened. And, and uh, whenever Moses got there... Moses had to confront the people of Israel. <laughs> Whenever Moses saw the idolatry and heard the music and the dancing and all of that stuff, when Moses actually saw the idolatry, he became angry. And of course the scripture tells us there in, in uh, Exodus chapter 32 verse 19 that Moses threw down the Ten Commandments. It says his anger waxed hot. And, uh, and we saw that, that, was, that the Lord had felt the same way. And now Moses is feeling the, the anger of God toward the children of Israel and what they're doing. And Moses destroyed the commandments. That was more than a fit of temper. That was more than a fit of temper. These people had already, by their actions, destroyed the covenant between them and God. And Moses' destroying the Ten Commandments was, was simply a, a, a carrying out of what the people had already done. In other words, I, I suppose we might say, that cuts it, all bets are off, the situation as it has been is over. <laughs> We're going to have to go back and start from scratch. So, uh, so Moses destroyed the, destroyed the Ten Commandments. 
And he, then he destroyed the idol. And I'd like to give us a couple of thoughts about him destroying the idol. He, he destroyed the calf. And let's go ahead and take a look at that verse, uh, verse 19, Exodus chapter 32, verse 19, verse 20. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. That reminded me of the passage in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 11, verses 18 through 20. We have the children of Israel complaining to God about the manna and talking about how they wanted to have meat to eat. And the Lord sent quail among them. And there in in Numbers chapter 11, verses 18 through 20, the Lord says, you are going to eat this quail for a full month until it comes out your nostrils. So so the idea is, is, is you really want something? Well, you're going to get it. And you're, you're going to get it until you're until you're sick of it. You're going to partake in your in your sin. And 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 of course, whenever Moses um, ground up the, the idol, that's what he was doing. He and he strawed it upon the water. Of course, the water that they had at that time. If we go back to Exodus chapter 17 and look at verse six, their source of water at this time was that the Lord had instructed Moses to hit the rock, and the water came forth, and and Moses poured the powder of the idol into that water that the children, that was the source of water for the children of Israel. Come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 21 and we can see that. And I took your sin. Now now here in Deuteronomy Moses is um, is uh, summarizing the history of the children of Israel from Egypt up till the time that they've come to the the boundary of the promised land. And and he's reviewing for them what happened at Mount Sinai. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 9 Verse 21, he says, And I took your sin, the calf which ye had made, and burnt it with fire, and stamped it, and ground it very small, even until it was small as dust, and I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. So any time that they went to get a drink, here's all this golden calf, the, the uh, dust of the golden calf down there in the brook in which they are, they're, they're getting their water. And then he confronted Aaron, and uh, and we've we've discussed the humor of this of this passage, where where uh, where on the one hand we saw a meticulous description of Moses taking an engraver's tool, engraving the the uh, the idol, and then whenever Mo- whenever Aaron was confronted by Moses, Aaron's simple statement is, "Well, I threw their earrings into the fire, and this calf came out." So. Uh, we, we learned something very important about Aaron, and that is um, he, he's, he's sort of like us. He didn't really want to own up completely to his responsibility. Yeah, I had something to do with it, but, these, you know, things just happen, is kind of the, the viewpoint that he took. He, he, he sort of shirked his responsibility in this, but nevertheless, he was confronted about it. And then Moses executed the idolaters. Now, of course, as, as we read the passage, what we see is that, the, is that the, the Lord was going to destroy everybody. The Lord didn't say, I'm going to destroy 11 of the tribes and spare the Levites because they alone have been faithful to me. The Lord didn't say that, did he? He said, I'm going to consume them in a moment and make of you a great nation. So even the Levites were, were engaged in the idolatry. But when Moses came down and confronted the people, the Levites stepped over there when Moses said who's on the Lord's side the whole tribe of Levi went over and, and lined up with Aaron and then they were sent in to kill 3,000 and those 3,000 were the people that refused to repent of their idolatry and they were 
they were executed. So we, we saw that the idolaters were executed. So Moses' confrontation was, was very stern. Chastened the people. Then Moses interceded again. Uh, and in beginning in Exodus chapter chapter 32, verse verse 30, the Lord told the people of Israel that he's that he was going to go up to see if he could make an atonement. The purpose of this second intercession is now the people are spared. Moses is interceding with the Lord to restore the promise. Okay, here they are; they're still alive. But now, what's going to happen to them? Are they just going to die here in the wilderness? Several years from now, you know, after they all grow old, and, and so Moses went went before the went before the Lord to ask the Lord to fulfill His promise to take them to the land of Egypt, and and that's the purpose of the of Moses' second intercession. And the Lord told Moses, "Let's let's go ahead and go there to verse um, oh verse um, verse three, well verse two." I will, uh, Exodus chapter 33, verse 2. I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. So the Lord told the people of Israel, I'm going to go ahead and take you up to the promised land, but I'm not going because, because you are a stiff-necked, rebellious people. And of course, that was a, that was a grief to the people, and that brings us to the to the next intercession. Uh, Moses goes before the Lord to intercede again, and this time he's going before the Lord the third time to beg the Lord to restore God's presence. So I, I think it's something that's worthy of our thought here. The people of Israel committed this gross sin, you know, by pure in pure justice. If pure justice were all that were in play here, the whole the whole nation should have been wiped out. They all should have been wiped out. But the Lord spared them, and, and in sparing them, the Lord brings three important principles before us. One is the principle that God spares our lives. Another is the principle that God will go ahead and fulfill his promise. And the third is the restoration of God's presence with us. And that's, that's some uh, food for thought, but... But Moses went up before the Lord to intercede for him again. And let's put in here a chapter in, in uh, verse 7 of chapter 33. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp afar off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So the Lord set up the, uh, 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 a tent, but it's noteworthy this tent was not in the midst of the people. And, and God's plan for the tabernacle that they were going to build for him as a dwelling place was going to be right in the middle of the people, but at this point, 
the Lord was showing the people, I am not going with you. <laughs> and so the, the, the tabernacle of the Lord was way outside the camp, afar off. And so when Moses went to meet with the Lord, he went afar off outside the camp, uh, away from the people. But did you notice the change of the people? Now the people are showing respect for Moses and they're showing some respect for God. Whenever Moses went into the tabernacle, the people stood and they watched him go and they, and they bowed their heads and they, and they worshiped the Lord. There's been, a, there's, there's been a, a, an awakening here. Nevertheless, um, the Lord had already told them he wasn't going with them. But also there's another noteworthy idea that's presented here and that is the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. There's this unique relationship between God and Moses. And you know, that's the only hope that the children of Israel had. Well, verse 12. Let's take a look at Moses' requests here. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. Well, let's stop, let's stop right there, first of all. Okay, the Lord did tell Moses, you take these people and you go on up. I'm not going to go with you, but you take the people and you go on up. So Moses is saying, okay, who's supposed to go with me? But then the, 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 uh, notice what else Moses asked the Lord in verse, in verse 13. Consider that this nation is thy people. The Lord is, Moses is asking the Lord for a change of perspective. Consider that this, this whole nation is your people. And then look at verse 14. In verse 14 we see the Lord has a change. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. So the Lord responds to Moses. The Lord responds to Moses because of this unique relationship between God and Moses. And then Moses, he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Well, this reminds me so much of what Brother Brian spoke about this morning. It's the presence of God that makes the difference. It's the presence of God that makes the difference. And, and that's what we really want. And of course, that's what Moses is pleading for the Lord with here. And the Lord said, I said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Okay, this has nothing to do with the people of Israel, does it? It has everything to do with Moses. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock. And will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And of course, the idea here is, is simply that, Moses, you, you could not stand to look upon the fullness of my glory. I'm going to give you a smidgen of a glimpse of it. Let's go ahead to, to chapter 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, 
Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. <clears throat> this is no accident. Why, remember Moses broke the tables of the, of the law, didn't he? In acknowledgement that the people had broken the law. And now what the Lord's showing him by saying, get two tables of stone like the first ones and, and bring them with you. Bring them with you. The Lord's going to restore things as they were before. As they were before. Moses has successfully interceded for the people of Israel. And there is going to be restoration between them and God. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor the herds feed before the mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up in the morning. Did you all notice I left out an important word? Moses rose up early in the morning. Moses was eager to go up and see the glory of God. And the Lord, had, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. Okay, so, so the Lord is going, to, is going to show Moses God's glory, uh, God's greatness. And, and what we're going to see here in these statements from, from the Lord is we're going to see some guidelines in how God deals with people. But Moses here is seeing the glory of the Lord, not the glory of some other uh, individual, some other person, some other God, but we're looking at the Lord God, the God that uh, the Bible speaks of as being the creator of the universe, the God that made the covenant with the people of Israel. The Lord, the Lord God emphasizing the, the deity of God here. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Well, that's the, that's the main thing that we've seen in God's relationship with Israel at this point, isn't it? The mercifulness and the forgiveness of the Lord, and then we see something that looks like a contradiction of that. He says, "Okay, I, he he makes a statement, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin." And then the next statement seems to contradict that when he says, "And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation." Well, that's not a contradiction. That's not a contradiction. Because remember, the Lord told Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Those people that will receive and are qualified to, to benefit from God's mercy, they're forgiven. But those people that do not receive God's mercy, they still stand before God guilty. And they're not going to be cleared because they have not received his mercy. In other words, they are still responsible for their sin because they have not accepted his forgiveness. And, and so they stand before God, God guilty. And then he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. I'd, I'd like to share with you a, a, pa a, a passage from the book of Psalms that expresses a similar thought to that. Let's go to Psalm number 99 and look at verse... 8, Psalm 99, 8. Well, let's begin in verse 6 where he says, Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel, them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord and he answered them. 
He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. See, it's one thing to be forgiven, but it's another thing to remove all consequences. Folks can be forgiven from the Lord, but that doesn't remove all the consequences of those actions. The consequences will still unfold. I suppose that per- perhaps we could use an example of this. A man may, may, be, uh, may be an alcoholic and uh, raise up his children while he's an alcoholic. And then, you know, with all of the bad things that go along with the alcoholism, uh, the, the lack of, of uh, inhibitions and, and uh, lack of self-control and, and uh, anger and violence and, and uh, various sorts of misbehavior. And then he can be saved at 40 or 50 years old and he's totally forgiven. But the effects of his alcoholism and the impression that it left upon his children, are still, they're still going to carry that. That's not all wiped away. They'll still have to bear the, the results of growing up in an alcoholic home even though, even though the alcoholic was forgiven. Does that make sense? That's why it's so important for us to, to, get our, to have a clean life. A clean life, not just to be forgiven. But wisdom is, not only do we need to be forgiven, but we need to have a changed life. So that for the, for the benefit of what do we pass on to our children. All right. I, well, we're going to have to stop right there. And uh, we'll, we'll finish out this chapter next time and see that the, the, the God's covenant with Israel is, is restored. What a beautiful picture of Christ, isn't it? We're like the children of Israel. We've totally disqualified ourselves from having any kind of walk with God, from even having spiritual life from having any of God's promises fulfilled to us and having the presence of God in our life, we're we're disqualified from that because we've sinned. But we have an intercessor that's even greater than Moses that that has made an atonement for our sin. And through Christ, we have eternal life. God can fulfill his promises to us. And not only that, but we can experience the presence of God because we have an intercessor in Christ that's even greater than Moses. And we're, we have acceptance with God, not because of us, but because of the unique relationship between God and, and Jesus.